Hi, my name is Philip and welcome back to Deep Tech Stories. So far, agriculture has been undergoing two revolutions. The first, due to motorized vehicles in the beginning of the 20th century, boosted the number of people or farmer feeds to 26. The second revolution involved the genetic modification of crops, increasing the number of fed people to 156 per farmer. With the expected increase of human population to close to 10 billion by 2050, we effectively need to double our food production. Behold the current third agricultural revolution, precision farming. The premise is simple. Instead of a one-size-fits-all approach to fields and crops, leveraging data leads to an individualized approach for each patch of crop. One such company offering this data to farmers is award-winning startup Voltus from Lund, as CEO Robert Schmidt explains. So precision farming is, is about you know, using the, the resources we have available to us more effectively uh, in terms of agriculture. So what, what that practically means in our case is applying the right you know, type of fertilizers in, in the right place in the field in the, in the right time. Um, and, and by doing so, you're matching like what the plant needs to basically you know, fulfill its destiny and becoming a, a, a nice plant with lots of yield. Uh, you, you're matching its needs to what it's getting. Um, and if you do that, the plant will be more healthy, you will have a, a better yield and so forth. Uh, but most importantly, you will be able to do so using the minimum amount of resources. Um, and, and that means that you can, for example, use less uh, fertilizers to get the same amount of yield or a better yield. Um, and by you know, having higher producing areas, uh, we can also then uh, produce more food using less area, which is very important because we, we, we kind of have a land shortage. So um, you know, we don't have enough food and the way we produce more food is by putting more fertilizers and uh, shoveling forests uh, to, to make place for more land. So by, by using precision agriculture, we can um, you know, produce more food using less fertilizers and less inputs uh, and also less land. So that's that's sort of what it's all about. It's also a very relevant topic time-wise, considering um, yesterday, the the 6th of April, I think, was the the day where Sweden officially used all of its resources for the year. So now we are running on, well, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I've looked around at some point and I've found some other companies that are doing similar stuff. But as far as I could see, most of them just look at kind of how how green the plant looks like, so how, how much chlorophyll is in there. But as far as I'm aware, are you doing something different in there? Yeah, so I think there's two pretty big differences in, in what we're doing. So the first thing is that we're not building just like an end user application, but we're trying to build infrastructure for the sector. Uh, so, you know, we want to make the access to really good recommendations and, and these types of technologies. We want to make the, the access to that as, as wide and as sort of democratic as possible. So we're building infrastructure so that other actors can take our, all these components we're building and, and then build end user applications on that. Um, I think th- that's one thing that is quite different in terms of our approach. Um, so, you know, this open infrastructure approach is, I would say we're currently the only one really doing that for specifically agriculture um, and, and recommendations. The second part is because we focus so much on recommendations, we've, you know, there's a lot of, it's, it's fairly simple to go from taking satellite data and, um, you know, just showing that on maps with these sort of chlorophyll levels, things like that. Th- that's fairly straightforward to do. Uh, and, you know, it's useful. It's, you know, monitoring your fields, but uh, it's significantly more useful to uh, actually get recommendations. But to make recommendations, um, it's it's uh, it's not very trivial. <laughs> There's a lot of things you have to factor in and consider. Uh, so we've had to develop a lot of measurements in terms of things like, uh, you know, soil and carbon in the soil, uh, you know, the, the, the 
sort of the yield maps, uh, like crop specific measurements of nitrogen uptake in the plant, like all these types of things are, are quite sort of require a lot of R&D to, to, to actually build. And uh, because we focus so much on building that, we've come quite far in terms of that development. Um, and, and that allows us to, to uh, uh, maybe offer something that's a, a bit more uh, complex and, and uh, offers a bit more value uh, because you're actually getting recommendations, not just maps. On recommendations, are they... Do you have a your own test field somewhere where you just try things out, or where where do those recommendations and the the knowledge for that come from? Um, so we don't have our own test fields per se, but we have um, you know collaborations with universities that have test fields and partners who have test fields, and also farmers who have you know, fields that, that we can run trials on and things like that. So um, it, indirectly, yes, but we don't have own our own land with our own test fields. Okay. Yet. <laughs> And then the the satellite pictures, they are microwave or just normal visual spectrum or what, what are you looking for in there? Yeah, so our, 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 our pipeline is based on two different types of satellite data. So we both use um, yeah optical, <laughs> you mentioned optical microwave. Uh, so the one part is, is optical, so they we primarily look at uh, like red, near infrared and infrared light. Um, and um, that's you know very helpful to measure things like uh, nitrogen uptake in the plant, chlorophyll, plant health, uh, moisture like moisture in the plant, things like that. Um, the problem, however, is that uh, optical data it uh, interferes with uh, clouds, and and so when uh, you know there's a lot of clouds, <laughs> you can just look outside <laughs> uh, based on where we are, um, and 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 so you get uh, inconsistencies in terms of data availability. And, and that's can be challenging when you're trying to depend on this technology to kind of optimize your, your agriculture production. You want dependability. And so there the second type of data comes in, which is uh, microwave remote sensing. So uh, there we use uh, yeah, C and L band uh, you know, microwaves. Uh, so it's, it's a synthetic aperture radar. So it's like an active sensor and um, with this, it, it penetrates clouds, which is uh, beneficial. It can measure other things than, than optical. So it can measure, well, other but similar. So we can measure things like the biomass of the plant, uh, so based on like the plant structure. We can measure things like the moisture content, both in the soil and in the plant, um, and uh, also the plant health. So they're quite complementary in terms of, you know, you can combine the different types of data and kind of they can augment each other. I think it's, it's definitely beneficial to have both. Um, specifically because if you take uh, the, the revisit rate of the data, the, the optical data you get maybe every three to five days and the, uh, the, the microwave data you get, let's say one to two days, um, but then combined you get like, you know, almost daily data. Um, and then it's basically regardless of cloud conditions. And then the satellite data is just freely available or what is it? Is there some sort of uh, licensing process with, with NASA and, and ESO and whatever? Yeah, so so we we collect our data from uh, NASA and uh, ESA, so uh, ESA is the European Space Agency, and uh, that's openly available through the Copernicus program. Um, you know, it's it's not free. You know, it's uh, ultimately <laughs> taxpayer paid very large amounts of money to to enable this satellite infrastructure to be there. But it's you know very widely used. They've done a lot of also studies on kind of the economic impact of this and it's you know it's really enabled a lot of applications. So I think what we're doing in agriculture it's we would not be able to do this without that open access to data uh, because it's we have to process a lot of data and agriculture is a pretty low margin business and so we need to be able to offer it in a very cheap way. So if 
we did not have this free open access to data, we would probably not be able to offer this. But if you kind of look forward, uh, there's also other sources of data. Um, I think you know, I'm very excited for all the new capabilities coming online. If you look at the the kind of the, the launch of new satellites, it's it's growing exponentially, extremely rapid uh, because the cost of launching is, is decreasing in an exponential rate. Um, like it's yeah, it's it's very 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 rapid uh, cost decreases. Um, I mean, now, you know, we could launch our own satellites, you know, with, we could, we could contract, uh, there's companies where you, you can sort of share a satellite and you can kind of contract someone to build it and they, they will find different people that you can share the cost of doing it together. And for something like, let's say $30,000, like we could launch our own like Earth observation satellite and have access to the data. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, like, you know, if you kind of go back a little bit in time, Something like that. It's it's only a few organizations that are you know probably connected to the military and government yeah. <laughs> do that. And now we as a startup could just if we want to you know we have the funds to just do it ourselves. Uh, or well you know we'll work with partners to do it. But it's 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 certainly doable. Um, and and so I think if you think about that, there's so many different types of information you could collect with satellites. You know you could collect. Um, there's so many different bands. There's so many different revisit rates. There's so many different uh, like resolutions that all enable different applications. And there's sort of commercial kind of drivers behind all of this. And because the costs have declined so much, we're seeing this really explosion in availability of data. So there's so many companies right now starting to offer different types of satellite data and um, with really specific bands, things like that, that are ena enabling us to measure more and more specific things and opening up new applications. So, you know, we're very excited about being like an infrastructure for that and, and bridging the gap from taking that data and, and making it really useful for agriculture. Um, so yeah, we're um, definitely very excited about all the things that are happening with the space sector. And uh, it's, it's really great to see these cost clients just continue. And um, yeah, I think we'll, keep going that way for the, uh, it's just going to keep accelerating as the, the market grows. There's a lot of stuff to unpack, <laughs> two of which you, you mentioned, um, the, the margin or that, that farming in general is very low margin. And then for the farmer, obviously it's most important to increase that margin somehow due to less fertilizer and higher, higher crop yield, how much gain or gain in more production and loss in fertilizer use can you provide in all of that? Yeah. So. You know, we've, we've shown about uh, something around 5% yield increase, and you can also reduce your fertilizer use by about 30%. Um, so that you know, results in a pretty good improvement in terms of margins. Because um, if you're going from, let's say, 2% margin to, let's say, 5 or 7% margin, that's, that's a pretty big step up. Uh, and, and Oftentimes, these farmers have pretty large amounts of revenues, but they don't make a lot of profits from that revenue. Mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, so I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense and the ROI is, is uh, very positive. I think we have some additional work to do to really validate all the numbers and, and especially across different regions and different crops and things like that. Um, but we're very optimistic that you know using this type of technology, we should be able to produce, you know, you should be able to get much better yields with much lower costs and um, that's going to be very beneficial for, for farmers um, in terms of improving their margins. Mm -hmm. Now you additionally mentioned the, uh, the different resolutions available from satellite images. How is the, how's the yield that you can provide depending on, on that resolution? So the 
like you, you know, let's say you have a, a satellite that has a one meter resolution, but your fertilizer spreader has a forty meter resolution. Well, that's a lot of wasted resolution. So the 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 limiting factor right now in terms of things like fertilization is not uh, the, the image resolution. So most spreaders have between a twenty to forty meter resolution, and even if that technology is you know farming is going digital as well, and, and these things are getting more precise over time. Um, you know, even new equipment has that resolution. I think it will take some time before that goes down to, let's say, four meters or two meters or one meter. Um, the data we get from uh, ESA and NASA right now, it's mostly 10 meter. So, you know, we're well ahead of what we need yeah. to get the resolution. Um, you know, we have to downsample our data to be able to get it into the equipment. Um, and, 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 and thus, for this application, I think having high resolution data is not... It, it, it doesn't add much additional value. There's other applications where it would add a lot of value. There's also crops where it would add a lot of value. So because we have this lower resolution, we only work with kind of large area like commodity crops, so things like you know wheat, potatoes, barley, things like that, where you have relatively large areas. Um, and it's kind of sort of, you know, you're growing across the entire field. But if you have, let's say, tree crops, or you have like vineyards, things like that, I mean, I guess that's a tree. Um, there you need much higher resolution because you need to measure things on a plant by plant basis uh, and there you know if you have a vineyard row then it needs to be pretty pretty precise um, so there's a lot of crops where currently you're mostly using drones to do it um, but I think that's also going to move towards satellites as um, that high resolution data is becoming more and more available in a cheap way I mean just an example if you take planet uh, so, so planet is a, a uh, small size company that offers uh, three, their resolution is now three meters, um, and they offer daily revisit rates across the entire world with like an archive for many years, and it's multispectral. Um, you know, that's, and they were founded, I don't know exactly when, but it's, they were founded in, in the last like, within the last 10 years, but I think it's like in the last five years or so. Like they've hmm. really grown a lot you know, in a very short amount of time, and I think like if, if I look ahead, like, okay, so then we went from 10 meters to three meters, and so now, and that's daily revisit rate. Okay, well, if you want every third day, or well, let's say you want every 10 days, and then you go from three to one meter, I mean, it's the same amount of data. So you could you could probably, even with their satellites, measure it at one meter, uh, or with the same amount of data, you could today go to one meter and have it every 10 days. But then, okay, let's say we increase the capabilities 10 times more, well, then it will be one meter every 10 days. And as these things grow exponentially, I think we're eventually going to get to, uh, yeah, that that it's very widely accessible, like half meter, one meter daily data. Like that, that's going to be in the next 10 years, that's going to be cheap and everyone's going to have access to that. Um, so, you know, I think we really have to prepare for that. And, and I think all those applications where, you know, you need that data, it's going to be super exciting for them because then, you know, they're going to get daily data for very cheap um, instead of having to contract, you know, very expensive data sources that they currently have to do today to, to get that data. Um, I mean, it's definitely considering with uh, Elon Musk doing all the stuff that he does. Um, yeah. It's just okay. going to get cheaper and cheaper because the guy is an absolute mad lad. Yeah. And then now Shift Base is as well focusing on uh, Blue Origin, I think it's called. Okay, so we, we know now what you're doing, what the, the plants kind of put out, um, what the farmers get. What have I got to ask, which is a very non-linear style of conversation right now why does it change on this the scale on like a meter to meter basis or plant to plant basis is it um weather depending or soil depending or um yeah so it's a combination so uh i think a big part of the variability of the the, the field will come from 
um, like the soil. Um, so you have a lot of soil variability, both in terms of the, the different types of textures, but also different like levels of nutrients, organic carbon, things like that. Like these things vary quite a bit. Um, why it, it varies, uh, if we go one step deeper, um, it's, I think, a complicated, it's, there's many different factors that, that come into it. If you take just soil organic carbon as an example, I mean, the, that, that stems from things like, uh, you know, how much organic matter you're kind of gets stuck in the soil. And, uh, you know, that's also dependent on things like, well, what's the root development in different parts of the field? Like, like all these things, they just kind of keep compounding and, and growing. And then you eventually get to a point where different parts of the field have very significant, like, um, potential you also have things like okay well you know let's say i get a there's a hailstorm and uh it wipes out my field and the wipes out one half of my field well mm -hmm. and then that part of the field you're not going to have the root development that the next year is going to mean that you're going to have less soil and carbon which means that, that then you're going to have less ability to kind of uh store moisture you're going to have less roots and less yields and so forth like it, the things just kind of kind of can compound and there's of course things that can even things out and um there's ways to to make it more even but you know if you look at an image of a field from above you, you will see that there's a lot of variability and uh there's a lot of sort of complicated things that go into that and i think that's something which we just have to to, to deal with um um i think it's it's very interesting where actually you know before we weren't even able to spread things evenly across the field like it was a really huge achievement to be able to actually spread things evenly because it's really hard to spread things evenly <laughs> <laughs> and and now we're kind of getting to the next level of saying okay well now we have the data to understand what the different needs are in different parts of the field and then you know that's kind of the next stage and then eventually like i think the the, the some futurists that say okay you know we'll eventually get to like we'll treat each crop different like each uh, each plant different but i think uh, maybe that's a bit overkill but uh, uh we'll definitely get more and more precise and, and that will mean that you know it's, it's, it's just going to be more accurate and, and more productive and then the i mean it's definitely a, a move currently that things getting more decentralized and more individualistic in in everything let it be now the farming and the fertilizer or skincare products for that matter it's mm. just all changing yeah which is very nice because a lot of data which is also yeah. very bad because well a lot of data <laughs> <laughs> So you have all that data. Do you just like send it out directly without any? Or what is the the algorithm behind? Is it any sort of black box machine learning thing going on, or do you have just a, a precise equation that you kind of solve and put things in? Uh, yeah, it's kind of the data thing. It's it's, it's luckily that the plants don't care about their privacy too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, so in terms of our algorithms and how that works, so there's different parts that are structured in different ways. Uh, so there's some parts of, so we basically have the measure of things about the field. Um, and, and, and those algorithms are generally not based on AI. So it's usually different types of uh, indices and things like that, um, that are like, it's just different like ratios of different <laughs> wavelengths of light that you're combining in different ways that you can get then a different uh, and some of these like ratios can be pretty complex but it's it's not like some sort of black boxing it's, it's pretty consistent um there's some measurements for example our soil again the carbon algorithm i mean that one is just completely based on ai um so that's just a black box and then and then you get to so you have all these measurements and then you basically need to have a, a model for what's the most economical way and effective way to then apply the fertilizers in different parts of the field based on these measurements uh, and, and that um, it's 
there's parts of it that are based on AI. Um, so things like our clustering and zoning algorithms, those are based on AI. But there are also, also things that are not based on AI that are just kind of like economic models sort of and, and and so it's a combination of, of of different things so yeah there's certainly some things that are based on AI, but there are also other things that are not um i think it's challenging in agriculture to build a system based purely on ai because um like if, so, so you, you have the issue of where you know you, you want to be able to train like the, you want to have uh, data on all the different sort of edge cases and all the different things that can happen so that you can have this sort of nuanced model that can can handle all the different like variations and complexities but the problem in agriculture is that each year is like a new game like it's it's you know you have new circumstances due to weather uh, like everything changes and it's it's having multi-year data sets to be able to train algorithms is takes many years and because the cycles are so slow because you're only getting one cycle per year um it, it is quite challenging to to do that um another thing is that okay well you know i built this algorithm based on all this let's say i have 10 years of data i'm building this algorithm well how do you know how effective it is well then let's say you want to test it for 10 years it, you know that takes 10 years like okay well then you know it's a 20-year endeavor <laughs> and let's say you know this ai stuff it's become accessible in the last five years well it's not going to be that many things based on ai in agriculture yet uh due to these slow cycle times so i think you know, definitely there's areas where ai is extremely helpful um but i think this kind of black block black box approach um which you, you can apply in, in other you know disciplines and areas i think that's something which is very challenging to, to apply in agriculture due to these limitations um you know i think over time ai is going to have of course a bigger and bigger impact on agriculture i think we're already seeing that but um, I think we're going to, for the you know near future at least, rely more still on these other types of models that we've developed that are not based on AI. Um, you know, ultimately, if, if the model like if it's accurate, it, it doesn't matter if it's a black box or if it's some like you know you take you take a black box and made some other types of algorithms. I mean, if, if, if it's doing a similar type of thing, then then I mean that's all good. Um, of course, we'll get more accurate with with uh, you know more and more nuanced algorithms, but at this point it's it's the the challenge is the, the the challenge is not getting to the most accurate state the, the challenge is going from this very high degree of waste to a little bit lower degree of waste mm -hmm. that, that's kind of the, the fight we're fighting i mean it's 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 kind of it's it's it's, it's uh, or like the, the battle is getting people to adopt these tools in the first place and and uh, getting you know some form of accuracy or some increases in terms of how you know, precise for applying these things. I think that that in itself is, is adding a lot of value. And then we'll, there's a huge, like, uh, if, if we look forward in the next 10 years, like there's there's so much waste that we can optimize in agriculture. Like there's there's such a big opportunity here to, to optimize that. And we're going to do that, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, we have to start somewhere. Yeah. I mean, with the machine learning stuff, um, coming mostly down to two things, either when you don't have an accurate model, otherwise that you can just do this massive data fitting. But if you have a model that's not necessary, and then the, the other advantage would be computational speed. Yeah. But if you only, in, in air quote, send out the data once per day or once every three days, that's not much of an issue, I assume. Yeah, it's like uh, you're applying for Lexus like three, four times per year. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, uh, it doesn't have to be like real time on the, like some sort of edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned those, those rate equations. And you earlier mentioned also that you have those uh, collaborators in, in university. How does that collaboration look like? Um, so 
we're part of one kind of international kind of consortium project, um, which uh, what's well, called Water Agri, and there we're working with uh, a few researchers both here in Lund, but also in, in Germany and in other parts of Europe, uh, or for example in Poland as well. And uh, there, I mean, it's it's different. Uh, you know, some parts of it is that we 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 work with some researchers that are developing different types of algorithms and and you know there we can get access to some of those algorithms and so forth uh, sometimes it's a matter of getting access to data sets so we can sort of train our uh, both verify our, our our models and uh, train our models and so forth um, and uh, I mean oftentimes it's you know getting feedback and things like that like you know working with the experts in, in this field and, and making our uh, the way we're doing things making it as, as good as it can be. Mm. Uh, so there's different ways we work with. I mean, there's also some, for example, where we work and we do more trials together, and it's more about kind of doing real world, real world validation uh, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, so there's diff- different uh, researchers we work in in slightly different ways. Um, yeah, and in the end, it's really the whole essence of this this deep tech sector, where it's just the massive collaboration between the the corporate and startup side and the the scientific and engineering ingenuity part. Mm. So that's it's really nice because there's particularly in psychology, social sciences, I've noticed every time I'm personally interested in something, there's a big lack between what is being applied in society and what the researchers knows. Yeah. Um, so you're just constantly struggling with, with things, trying to figure it out. So it's really nice to see that it's actually someone is keeping up to date. <laughs> For sure. I, I, I completely agree. I think in agriculture, we have the, the same problem. I mean, I think it might be potentially even more extreme in agriculture um, and, and I think it's it's uh, there's definitely a lot of value to, to take the things that are have already been developed in academia and, and making it useful for for kind of society and uh, us actually applying those um, I mean I think there's oftentimes it's a lot of things are proven in research and kind of they're shown to work at a limited scale and then uh, and then it's kind of taking that and, and making it scalable and making it accessible but that in itself is 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 uh, can be very hard uh, you know it's there's there's some there's there's many problems that are you know it's it's like you can prove that it works at a limited scale but then if you want to scale it up it's it's really 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 difficult uh, i think for agriculture that's uh, especially true i think especially things like you know you have different climate like the climate is different in different regions and uh you know you have different crops uh so those are both things that are uh, things you have to consider and 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 so it adds a lot of complexity if you want to actually scale things because uh, you have to either you have to do something that's quite generic so it works both you know it, it works globally and like it works maybe across all crops or you go globally and crop specific or you go uh, regionally and crop specific um, and, and, and ideally you do regionally crop specific like that's what's most accurate but then you need to have let's say one you know a version of the algorithm for each crop in each region so let's say you're working in five different markets you're working with 10 different crops well you know it's 50 different things you have to maintain um so it it, it definitely you know making the thing scalable or is is for us definitely a challenge and i think finding ways to uh, yeah like finding ways to make the also those adjustments making those scalable like like can you do so that okay you're, you're doing a kind of crop adjustment um, but you're doing that in a scalable way, like, it's, like uh, how to, to, to make the unscalable thing scalable. I think that that's definitely something which uh, go, there's a lot of thought and work that goes into doing that. 
It's very interesting, definitely, the scaling part, because it comes up very often, particularly the whole unscaling, uh, scaling the, the non-scalable part. Now the, the segue of the, the, the century. So you're having this, this feedback loop with the researchers, and you mentioned in another podcast that you personally are working on some feedback loop within your system. Can you explain that a bit, what you're trying to do there? Sure. So, um, yeah, it's, it's what we call sort of trial automation. So it's, it's kind of the, that, that, that problem of, um, to actually test an algorithm and to see kind of if it's effective and then optimizing it, that's something which takes a lot of work because, you know, let's say you want to, to do it in a field and you want to, to do a, a field trial. Well, it, it, there's a, a lot of effort that goes into actually coordinating a field trial. Like if you, if you want to just contract someone to do the field trial for you, let's say it costs like five to 10,000 euros, uh, and that's per trial. So, you know, let's say you want to do 10 trials and you want to do it in many regions, like you're, you're getting to a, it, it becomes very costly. And especially when you want to do it over multi years. Um, so, you know, for, for us, we've thought a lot about how can we scale up trials? Because uh, that's going to be very important to have a feedback loop where, you know, in the same way that when, when you're using, let's say, uh, Google, you know, you're, you're training the algorithms by what you're clicking on and, and kind of how you're interacting with it. We, we want to have a same type of feedback loop where our users and people who kind of leverage our technologies that they can contribute towards its development and making it more and more effective and accurate. Um, and, and, and so our path of doing that is yeah, what we call trial automation. So it has three different parts. So one of them is that we need to be able to automatically generate a trial uh, so, you know, when you have a, a, let's say when we're giving a recommendation, this would then just be for test users, not like for everyone, but let's say we have you know, test users that have signed up for this. And when we're giving them a recommendation that we can automatically input a trial into that. And it doesn't have to be that you split into the entire field into two like, sections. It can be, you know, many different ways to structure the trial, but so that you automatically you know, create a trial in your recommendation. Um, so you can, let's say, let's say you would divide the field into two different sections and you would test one algorithm on one side and another algorithm on the other side. That would be one, one example of that. The second part is that you need to be able to uh, remotely measure the results of this. Um, the challenge is that we can't rely on uh, yield data from the farm um, because different equipment measured in different ways. It's most farmers don't have yield maps. Like they just, you, know, you just get one measurement for the entire field. Uh, and it's, 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 it's kind of, you need a accurate representation of what the yields actually were and how those changed based on, on this, this trial. Uh, and so uh, how we would do that, well, we already have like a yield uh, where we can look at kind of yields from satellites. Um, and uh, so we would basically with satellite data measure the, the the yields remotely, um, and, and so be able to assess the, the, the outcome of the trials automatically. And then the last part, uh, which is, is uh, <laughs> pretty interesting, is that you actually need to know that the farmer applied the, the, the fertilizers, or like the, that they implemented the trials in the right way. Uh, and there's two ways to do it. Like one is that you, you can have this, this data called as applied. So the, the equipment can spit out this file that basically says, okay, look, I applied it this way. And, and that could invalidate that. Yes, you applied it, the recommendation mm -hmm. correctly. Uh, that's one way to do it. The second way, uh, which I think we're maybe more in favor of because it's more scalable is um, that you would m basically, you would create a special signature in the, 
in the recommendation that you can then, then detect from space. Uh, so it would be sort of like a QR code from space, we call it. Um, that's one way to do it. I, th I think, you know, we're, we're, we're still in a, exploring this and I think it's something which, uh, you know, we, we want to get to. It's, it's not easy uh, to, to do, but uh, if we combine these three different components, then you would basically have a, a system where Know, we could have, let's say, you know, thousands of users who are using our recommendations. They're getting value from it, but at the same time, they're kind of, you know, A/B testing or ABC testing or whatever different types of algorithms, and we can then automatically collect the data from those trials and assess which algorithms work better. And it, it could even be that, you know, what algorithm works better for what crop and what region, like making all these things more and more nuanced and specific, but doing that in a scalable way. I think that's what we ultimately need to get to, to get to this kind of next phase of, of accuracy. Um, you know, right now that's not the challenge that we're, we're, we're or it, 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 yeah, it's, it's not, not the thing that we're solving for right now, but it's something which when we look ahead of, okay, building this into something that's extremely good, like, and that will like long-term be the best thing. I think this is what we need to get to. And, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a little bit more of a, uh, a long-term project than uh, what our short-term priorities are right now. <laughs> the holy grail, so to speak. Yes. You know, we've talked a lot about the whole technical part and I would like to switch to the more business part. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so you studied law for a bit, but eventually quit. Yeah. Why? Or how, how was that decision made and how was your family feeling about this? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's like... Uh... Is it is it is it that difficult to understand that law is not fun? <laughs> <laughs> no, it depends on the person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it depends on the person. No, I think for me, it, it definitely is not like a great fit with what I want to do. I mean, um, it's like on, on some level, it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's it's like I, it's law. It's, it's kind of this like bureaucracy and I don't like bureaucracy. It's like like law isn't really adding anything. Like, okay, it's clarifying the rules, but other than clarifying the rules, it's just this like kind of waste of resources that like we, it's like sucking away from productive uses of things. I, I like to build things, I like to move things forward. I, that's, that's what I want to spend my time doing. Um, and, and so I, I really didn't find that, like, I, the reason I started studying law was because I, I, you know, it seemed like a good career, like something fun to do, like, uh, you know, and watch suits and so forth. And, uh, but I, I, I ultimately didn't, feel that yeah it was aligned with what I wanted to do and kind of the role I wanted to have and uh, so I was going to switch to engineering anyways uh, I was like in the process of of, uh, of of going to switch in the next term and then uh, uh, then I was exploring the, the stuff for drones and so forth and that's how I think I stuck into with this um, but yeah I mean clearly I think there's definitely a lot of value that comes from law and it's, it's definitely a valid discipline and we need lawyers and, and lawyers can kind of provide a lot of value in organizations. So it, I don't want to like bash on that, but I, I definitely think it's, uh, uh, you know, where you can have the most like leverage in terms of moving things forward and kind of making a better world for the future. I don't think that's going to be law. Like, like law isn't going to solve the hard, hardest problems. Oh, well, you know, I guess making organizations and so forth, that can definitely do it. But I think it, it, it's it's kind of engineering and building things like that's where that's what what adds most uh, and, and so that's what I want to sp spend my time doing because I think that's what's most useful for, for the world. Mm. yeah I mean for me personally I was I was horrible in anything but math and physics in school so it was the natural choice for me <laughs> um definitely wouldn't have enjoyed a single day in law probably 
Um, although Stoots is very, very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, you briefly mentioned right now that you started looking into things with drones. So initially yeah. the whole company was based around drone mapping. Yeah. What were the others? So you probably didn't just start with farming and drones. So was, was there any, any other idea that was pursued first or? No, so that was the, the first thing we did. Um, so yeah, I had a friend from high school who had a, a drone and uh, we uh, tested different things we could do with it. And uh, one of the things I suggested was uh, uh, you know, farming. And uh, so we called up some farmers and we, we, we flew over the fields and kind of saw, looked at if that was something that was useful for them. And uh, I think what we, we, we found a lot of waste. <laughs> we found a lot of inefficiencies. There was really not a good understanding of what was happening on the fields. And uh, so, I mean, it was kind of like obvious. I, I, and so this was 2016. At that time, ag tech itself was not really a thing. Like there were some companies working on it, but it was, it was not like it is today. Like now it's a pretty, like all this sort of ag tech and impact and so forth, that's become a pretty big, uh, uh, a big theme in investing and things like that. But back then it was, it was kind of, no one was really work, not no one, but very few people were working on these problems. So it was kind of like, you have this massive problem that's causing a lot of problems for society and so mm -hmm. forth. And, uh, and, and, and that's just a massive opportunity to, to fix that and, and improve that and, and reduce the waste. So yeah, I, 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 I kind of, uh, don't like waste. Yeah, <laughs> and so I saw that it was like, uh, kind of, it was kind of exciting to, to, to see like, you know, how, how can we solve this? Cause it, it definitely was like, if you look also at like digitization, like I, I, you know, there's like a McKinsey has this like list of different sectors and how digitized they are, and furthest down it's like agriculture. It's like agriculture is really far behind, in, and and that's gonna change. And, and I think uh, uh, it also was kind of exciting to to see, you know, could could we digitize the sector and help kind of contribute towards uh, that kind of how the sector would evolve. Mm. I mean, with the waste thing, it's on the one hand, we have the, the whole fertilizer waste, as you mentioned, and the other, other side is the, the actual food waste happening in stores. So I used to go dumpster diving in Germany for around a year, and it's just absolutely horrible. It's like the, the amount of bananas and bread I found is <laughs> completely yeah. ridiculous. Because in, in Germany, and probably here as well, the, the supermarkets are not allowed to sell the bread one day after it's been made. So oh. in the evening, it's going to get sent out or just stored outside. And then in the morning, someone will pick it up and bring it either to power plants. So it has the same energy density as, as a wood. So you can just burn it and make energy from it, or you feed it to pigs or whatever. So you just go to a supermarket and it has like this 200 kilograms of freshly baked bread. It's just going through it and like, okay, I'm just going to take a loaf or two then. <laughs> it's quite sad. I mean, it's uh, definitely a big problem. But how, how did you come up with the, the pharma and ag tech thing? Because we studied law and it doesn't seem like you're something, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's something you'd naturally just come up with because you've been looking at it for, for years and years. True. I mean, I, uh, I, I guess farming is, uh, you know, I, I grew up close to fields, not, uh, not definitely not, uh, I don't have a farming background, but, uh, definitely like in a rural community and, and, and sort of, you know, live in a relatively small town like you know, I usually walk around you know, next to fields and so forth and it, so I, I think it's not something which is, is too foreign in that way um, so I don't think it was too unnatural and then I mean, if you look at drones it just 
I don't know, it just it, it it seemed like uh, I've also heard like I I think I've I'd heard of things being done in terms of drone and agriculture. I, I like I, I knew that there was like there was something there. I I, I didn't know much about it, of course, but uh, uh, I I was familiar with it. So it it kind of exploring that it wasn't too yeah it it kind of made sense uh, to try at least um, you know there was other things we were thinking about trying as well. So I mean there was things like uh, you know you, you could you could. We actually did that. So the things like you know, doing three D models of buildings and uh, construction sites, and uh, you could also like uh, look at things like windmills and like uh, power lines, things like that. Uh, we didn't get too much into that, but we did uh, actually do some three uh, D models of buildings. That was that was fun, I guess. But uh, um, but it wasn't as exciting. It was it's it's kind of like. Uh, you know, it's it's like okay, it's nice to have a three D model of a building, but it's not not quite as exciting as uh, as like producing waste in the farming. In my mm. And then so you just you go to some drone, you called farmers, and you told them, "Hey, yeah. you're trying to reduce the waste, can we come by and measure your field, and we'll see how it, how we figured it out?" Or did you have already some plan on on how it would work potentially? No, yeah, that, that was that was it. So we we looked on uh, Google Maps, and there was some uh, farms uh, that. There were some like larger farms that had like their <laughs> that had a web page and a phone number. So then we called them up and then we, we, we were like, yeah, you know, we're doing drone stuff. And I, at the, it's like, um, I think most farmers they kind of really like hardware, uh, and especially like new hardware technologies. It's kind of like, uh, like if you look at like farming events and things like that, it's like the newest tractor and newest spreader things like that. That that's really I think what what drives a lot of excitement in in, in the sector. And I think you know at that time you know twenty sixteen. Drones were really hot. Mm. Like talking about drones, it was like drones was gonna you know change the world. That everyone was gonna have a drone and drones, you know, everything drones. Um, and and so uh, I think uh, the 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 ask of saying okay, you know, we have these, you know, we're this, uh, you know, young dudes, we we have this uh, this drone and we want to try flying over your fields. Like it's it's a pretty it's pretty harmless, and most of the people we called were quite happy to, to comply and, and help out i think also like farming is a it's a very uh you know farmers are definitely very busy and they have a lot to do but i think they're they're very friendly i think especially like it's, it's like there's this kind of narrative that farmers are not like uh, open towards strangers and so forth but I, I, it's it's like they're very open towards communities and i think very kind of it, it's this like neighborly spirit that i think like my parents always talked about, oh, when they grew up, like, you know, everyone used to say hi to each other and, like, everything was so open and so forth. I think that's kind of, we still have that in, in kind of the agricultural side. Uh, and I think that that's very nice. And I think it, I'm, I'm very happy that we got such a, well, you know, you know, welcome reception from, from them. I think, you know, if that wasn't the case, then maybe we wouldn't uh, be doing what we're doing now. Mm. So you, I'm just trying to, to fit the timeline in my head somehow. Studied yeah. law, you decided to do this with the, with the drones and the, uh, and the farming. And then eventually you decided to to quit studying altogether and, and pursue this. The next big problems in my head would be how and what was the first paying product? And was there any any backlash from your, your parents because you, at the time you were what, 19, 18? And you just yeah, and you decided just to no, I'm I'm gonna quit studying. No, it was it was it was quite quite okay. I mean it was uh yeah I I, I think the the first steps. I mean, we we set up a, uh, like a, 
like a, like a LLC, like a company. And uh, so I needed like a little bit of money for that. So I borrowed a little bit of money for my mom and uh, my friend, he borrowed some money from his friends. And uh, so he set that up. I mean, you know, I was living at my mom's place. I uh, didn't have a lot of expenses. I ate mostly pasta. <laughs> so pretty low maintenance. Um, so we were just exploring things for the first uh first maybe half a year or so we we got some uh paying customers so we we had uh one one paying customer was a um they do like crop phenology so they uh they develop like different types of oats so then we flew over their test fields uh, and we basically like mapped that every uh we'd, like every week we'd go out and map their their test uh, like they had all these different varieties growing on these little like squares um so that was, that was one source of revenue. We also did, uh, some 3D model stuff for buildings. Um, and then initially we got a bit of funding from projects. So that's kind of how things got started. Uh, so we got some funding from um, uh, Lund, like Lund University. They have some some funds you can get, uh, like they have like an innovation arm. And then uh, we got a little kind of like a convertible loan from uh, Taitat also from Almi Invest. Uh, who then later became an investor in mm. us um and uh we got some grants from Vinova as well uh, so yeah i the initial funding was mostly kind of soft soft money and then a little bit of customer revenues um and that's kind of how we how we got started and then when where was the point that you thought okay this is this is working this is a thing to do and this will most likely work for the next at least few months or years <laughs> I mean, I, so I, I kind of paused my studies before we created a company and then we created a company a few months later. And then like, you know, we, I think maybe half a year into it, I think that's when it kind of, you know, it got clear. We got some funding. There was like excitement for it. We got some people doing the team and so forth. I think that that's when it became clear that, you know, we can definitely do something with this. Um, yeah, but I think it, uh, I mean, it, it it's like even now. I mean, we're it's definitely like there's a lot of challenges in terms of building this, and, and you know, we're even if we have some traction now, we have some usage. You know, we have partners and distributors and so forth. It's we're we're still there's still a long way to go in terms of this like truly working at, in in the way we wanted to. Um, so there's still a lot of challenges to solve. Uh, but but I think yeah, in in the first half of year, or so I think I. I more or less figured out that that was something I wanted to do and what to spend more time on. I mean, it was kind of in the beginning, it was kind of like, okay, I could always go back to studying. I could always, you know, go back to studying something else and so forth. And, you know, in Sweden, you can apply to different uh, programs and, uh, you know, you can get accepted to them and then you don't have to join them, but, you know, you just have the acceptance letter. And then if you want to join, you can just <laughs> accept it. If, you know, if things would go south with the company. So I still had that kind of backup, mm. uh, but uh, I didn't go for it. No, I assume you probably also won't go for it, even if it uh, should fail, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> because in the end, why? I assume the, the learning so far probably have been a bit bigger than any, any study learning. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I, I definitely never really, I never really fit very well into kind of university studies. It, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just different people learn in different ways and uh, it's kind of... <laughs> it was just not not very fun i think uh in a startup you, you can really uh match what you're did when I, how you can challenge yourself however much you want to because there's like always things that need to be done and there's always like 
you know, there's there's so many complex things that need to be solved and so forth. So it's kind of a, uh, you can just expend as much energy as you, you want to. And uh, so I think at the time I thought that was really exciting. I just mm. <laughs> spent all my time working on this and uh, uh, learn a lot through, through the process. And when was the, the pivot then to, to satellites? Was it just a, because if you say that everyone was really, really into drones, which I remember that all my, all my friends that suddenly came photographers and then professional drone flyers yeah. um, it was really yeah. really the time for drones but it's not yeah. particularly scalable if you have to go out yourself all the time to fly over a field yeah so we we those scalability issues we kind of really realized them in uh, in, in the kind of early part of or like the spring of 2017 so we founded a company in in september 2016 and then we, we did a bit of like mapping things and so forth. And then we, uh, our first real growing season where we kind of were selling towards farmers, we had some signers, farmers sign up and so forth was in 2017. And uh, um, I mean, it, it's kind of worked, but it was so much work to, to, to get the data. And, you know, we were just mapping, maybe it was like five fields, something like that. Like, but it, it was ex an incredible amount of work to both collect the data because I mean let's say you have to drive one hour there and you have to fly the drone for an hour and then you have to drive an hour back I mean not that bad but it, it's still you know for one field for one mapping that's, that's quite a bit but then you have to process the data and then that takes let's say maybe it takes like six hours something like that because it's like really high resolution data so there's a lot of processing going on and then uh and then after that sometimes the data doesn't like match up perfectly so then you have to do like some manual stitching which takes a lot of like manual time so then, okay then maybe 24 hours later you have your your first data done uh, but then you know what happens if the it was too windy or the, the clouds were like in a little bit wrong way and then the drone didn't collect the data in the right way and then you couldn't stitch the data properly well then you have to do all of this again <laughs> And sometimes the, the camera just doesn't take the images, it just doesn't save the images. Sometimes there's like, for some reason, some little thing covers some part of the sensor and you have to do it again. So we had some of these fields where we had to like do it several times. There's also the, the one field where it really crushed us was we had this really big field, uh, kind of maybe five kilometers north of Lund. That's about, uh, it's a little bit over 200 hectares. Um, so it's it's a very very large field, uh, yeah, and 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 so the drone we had was uh, it it could cover uh, something like eighty hectares per battery, um, and and so you know and we had three batteries so we could cover the entire field, but you needed like a certain amount of overlap for the different images and it like we we tried to do it once uh, and then we tried to do it but it failed and then we spent so much time trying to make it work, but it didn't work and then we had to do it again. Um, but the thing is this place is so extremely windy during the day. The only time you could, there was light and where you could collect the data was like at six in the morning. <laughs> so we had to like get up at six, we had to like, you know, spend, and it was freezing cold, quite windy. Uh, <laughs> and we had to the field. Yeah, like it was, it was not a, not a fun, uh, not a fun fun experience i mean it was it was around this time it was around april and you know it's like right now it's you know in the morning it's like minus degrees yeah. and then you have to stand there with the the hold the things and it was it was definitely not a good time um and so i think that experience really kind of it, it really reinforced the idea that 
this is not going to scale. Like we had in the, the intent, like our ambition was to scale this globally and, you know, we couldn't even make it work on a local basis, uh, you know, even if we spent all our efforts on it. So we, we, we explored different things. So one of them was airplanes. So we, we actually, we took the camera and we, we, we knew a guy who had a little airplane. And so we, we put the camera in, in there out through the airplane and hmm. flew over some fields. Uh, and, and that worked okay. Um, definitely better than drones, but not uh, still challenges that you need to coordinate plane flights. And then the other option was uh, satellites. Um, and uh, that, you know, ultimately we, we, the fit was great. I mean, it was, the resolution was good enough. Uh, the, the, the quality of the data was actually, so the, the, it's interesting with the quality of the data was actually higher than, uh, because you have this consistent flow of data mm. all across the year. You, you had a very high quality data that you could always rely on. Uh, and it made it a lot easier to build things on it. You had you, you avoided all these issues that you have with drones with like calibration. Like you have so many ways you need to calibrate the data. You could just, there's calibration things you need to do with satellites too, but uh, it's like more standardized. So it's easier to do. Uh, so the, the fit was just much better. It was, you know, we always had data everywhere. We could scale it globally. It was for free. You know, we, we could just completely abandon all this data processing that was super heavy and all this kind of needing to have pilots all across the country, like all these things we, we could just completely resolve. I mean, yeah, we, we, we even had a, we had this, like, there was this, this like farming entrepreneur group that do like machinery things. Mm-hmm. We, we, we were like collaborating with them. We were going to have like a, 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 a national network of p- pilots. And the first pilot, like the first you know, training we did for one of the pilots, he was trying to like make the drone fly, and and it's this wing drone, and like he didn't throw it on the field, he threw it like in, in our car, and it like broke parts of our drone. So it, it's like we we then we realized like we can't even train pilots to do this. Like it's like we we can barely do it ourselves. Like we can definitely not train a network of pilots to to make this work. Yeah. <laughs> Long story. Long story yes. um, <laughs> you say you started the company in autumn 2016, and then you switched in all around this time in 2017. What? Because it's, it's winter in between, and winter in South Sweden is not necessarily the coldest, but it's very, it's very annoying. It's the right word to say. It's, it's wet. It's yeah. windy, and just not enjoyable. And I assume nothing grows on farms, anyways. Or was it just yeah. in this half year trying to figure out the data processing part, or? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some things with data processing that we had to work on. Um, figuring out one of the things was what type of drones we wanted to to work with. So um, we could we could either buy a drone, which was quite expensive, or I also the another path was to build our own drones. So I I actually built a, a drone. Uh, it was not quite functional. Like it, it had all the things that it it could fly, but we didn't actually go ahead with it. It was it was a little, it was almost doable, but it was a little bit too complicated to 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 get to to get done. Um, and so figuring out the drone parts, figuring out the data processing parts. There's also a lot of things in terms of funding and uh, figuring out the business model, like figuring out this kind of, you know, sell like finding farmers we could sell to, and and finding farmers that wanted to buy this for the season. Uh, this whole thing with like the national network of drone pilots, mm-hmm. and you know working with them. So there was a lot of things we had to do in the winter, uh, but yeah, they were not, uh, 
related to actually executing uh, on the strategy. But all that we have to do then in the spring, and that's that's kind of the challenge. You know, you have a, you have a, a period of you know let's say three four months where all this work has to be done. Um, so it's very intense during that period. No, all the fields want the data at the same time. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no one really wants the data during winter because well nothing grows. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So we switched in in early two seventeen, and I assume then you just had well not not massive amount of time over because you didn't have to do data processing anymore, but you had a lot more time to build the product, and that's when you eventually probably came up with okay, we just built this platform for other people to build stuff on, yeah. and from there, what is now the the next step? Yeah. So. Um... You know, focusing on the, the satellite data, I mean, we had to build out. The first thing was the building out like a, a satellite like pipeline that would take the satellite data and then make it into like measurements recommendations. So building that was the the, the first major like technical challenge. Um, and then uh, you know our idea was to build our own interface that we would have on top of that that we would then sell towards the farmers. Um, but our experience of selling directly towards farmers um, in twenty seventeen also kind of taught us that. It's uh, it's a lot of work towards selling selling directly to farmers. I think uh, it's something which uh, you know you need to develop uh, trust and relationships with the farmers, and um, it's something which you know requires people to be on site and to to visit the farmers and so forth. And that's something that takes a lot of effort, and it's quite local. So we we quite early then figured out that okay, well we're building this satellite pipeline like. Let's try to build as an infrastructure instead, and work with other partners who can then use this on a local level. Uh, who who might have those connections already? They might already you know have been. They might sell other products towards farmers. They might you know already have these relationships. Let's kind of try to use them as a channel that we can go through. Um, and, and so I think initially we we saw this kind of infrastructure approach really as a a distribution channel where we're going through these platforms to to build like a. That's how we're gonna you know sell things. I think how the thinking has evolved over time has become more of it's not just you know they're not just a distribution channel but you know we're building infrastructure for them like we're trying to build a community around this and we're trying to empower them towards you know being more successful and you know our role is really being you know building out that infrastructure and making it really good so that because like the barriers towards building a useful application for farmers now is it's really high. You need to spend a lot of resources to do that. You can do something generic in a very like, fast and cheap way, but doing something that's really useful, like if, if we're requiring all of these like you know small companies to invest like huge amounts of money to, to build all these recommendations, build all these things, that's a massive barrier that's making it very challenging for them to be successful. And I think that's what we're kind of partially seeing is that you know, this sector, it's you know even if it's seeing a lot of success and it's moving forward, I think you know, adoption could be a lot faster if these platforms had good tools uh, and, and, and could offer these recommendations in an easy way. And and so, you know, we, we see ourselves as really trying to accelerate the adoption of precision agriculture, really accelerate the sector and trying to make more and more collaborations um, happen uh, in this space. So, yeah, we hope that with this path that that will lead to to more platforms being more successful and, and more farmers than getting access to good precision agriculture tools. Mm. Well, it's pretty amazing. How much how much does a farmer save then if they would use it on average? And what is the, the biggest save anyone has done so far on it? Yeah, so I mean you know, let's say you, you get it depends heavily on the the intensity of the production, but if you have a um 
you know, let's say you're an average farmer that has like 200 hectares and you know you save you know, something like 20 30 percent fertilizers and you're getting like three to five percent increase in yields for like an average like wheat feed like if like commodity crop grower that's about 200 hectares like a mid-sized farmer in let's say Skåne, that would be something like 70 euros per hectare that they would gain um which would then you know equate to yeah like 1400 euros per per year something like that um no 14,000 euros per year yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> quick maths um uh yeah so so yeah around yeah because that, that first number seemed a bit accurate yeah so about 14,000 euros per year that they can get from from um in additional profits so i mean it's definitely meaningful um and then there's other benefits too i mean there's the um the environmental sides and, and reducing emissions and so forth which is, is really key but uh, uh from the profit side it's 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 definitely a, a big deal because then you can use that resources to invest in, in more mm. resources for next season and what was the, the biggest gain or, or savings that anyone has done so far that you know of um i think there was one yeah one trial in china which i think we had about 110 euros per hectare or something like that i think that that's the to date the one that has the biggest um i mean yeah we have a lot of trials for this year uh and uh we're really excited to get those results i mean i think uh, we'll we'll we've done some trials like so we 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 if you go in the story like where you know where we are now like we we've done some trials last year and, and gotten some results we've gotten quite a bit of usage and so forth but only a, a handful of trials and this year we're running you know uh, over 15 trials and uh, there we're going to get a lot of results on, on these things and we're going to have then a lot of kind of quantitative data about exactly like what these values are um so we're really looking forward to mm -hmm. that. and next to those trials i assume they are some part of, of uh, some expansion plan of going to uh, southern hemisphere or just non-european regions i assume yeah so we uh in terms of the regions we're focusing on right now, it's uh, the core regions we're going to target ourselves is um, uh, uh, like Nordics, Germany, and uh, Russia. Um, and because we have ties in all those three markets, we have exclusive partners in uh, Romania and UK and uh, soon in, in another uh, larger market. And uh, those markets, we have kind of then a, a strong partner that's basically doing all the kind of business development in those regions. Um, we, since we have this, you know, open infrastructure, anyone can use, we do have customers who use our products in other regions as well. Uh, but you know, we're, we're focusing on some markets that we want to develop that we're, we want to be strong in. Um, and, and we're going to focus our product development initially on that as well. Um, initially we were very kind of, okay, we're going to do everything global and everything's going to be super, super scalable and everyone's going to be able to do everything everywhere. But, uh, I think it's, um, it's easier, you know, it, it, it's, uh, there's an analogy of, uh, you know, if you have, let's say 25 cups of tea, uh, 25 uh, cups of boiling water and you have one tea bag, you could either make one good cup of tea or you could like spoil 25 cups. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like by, by, you know, we, we need to focus to be able to be successful in the markets that we're targeting. If we're too generic, it, it, uh, it's not going to be, or it doesn't get, uh, it's much more challenging to, to be successful in the markets that we want to target. So it's, it's, we want to go a bit more narrow in, in some markets now and then 
later on we'll then add more and more markets over time. Like, you know, we have a scalable approach. We're really concerned about scalability, but um, at the same time, we can't do everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. This is very interesting. It's very amazing that something, someone actually takes care of it from a... I mean, there, there, there are two approaches to it. Either you just change the whole approach to farming and make everything very sustainable without fertilizers and really try to figure it out as, as mother nature would do it or we come from the probably more approachable side of things because the farmers are just more acceptable of doing just improving their current way than having to change everything from ground up so thank you very much for this it's been uh, great chatting with you and uh, the, been very good questions hi philip here before you leave i just wanted to thank you for listening and i hope you learned something in this episode if that is the case, why not message me at philip at deeptechstories.io. I'm always curious about what you took away and look forward to a discussion with you. That is p-h-i-l-i-p-p at deeptechstories.io. It would also help me out a great deal if you could recommend the episode to a friend of yours that might find it interesting as well. See you again next time when I talk with RockLogic podcast host Sean Kenny about a new generation of nuclear fission reactors.